bring you greetings from the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make every great path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We continue with our discussion on faith towards God. And in this particular broadcast, we want to discuss or look at an assessment. We want to assess ourselves and find out if our faith is towards God, if our faith is moving in the direction of God. But before we do that, let's do a quick recap of what we discussed in our last broadcast. In our last broadcast, we looked at the objective of faith, and we noted that the objective of faith is eternal salvation. Now, by faith, we believe that God has promised us eternal salvation. We believe that we can only attain eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, who is the author of eternal salvation. He is the one who makes the way for us to get into eternal salvation. He is the one who is the source of eternal salvation. To make obtaining earthly mundane things the objective or the object of our faith in God is to deviate from the true essence of faith, which is meant to bring us to eternal salvation. Those things that we seek to obtain on the earth are actually resources that should lead us to eternal salvation. They are not the end. They are a means to an end. And we must not make nonsense of our eternity by focusing on those things, which is what a lot of people when they preach, do. They tend to get us to focus on these things rather than on the very end, the very goal, the very objective of our faith, which is to be in heaven with God, our eternal salvation. We will now discuss what we want to look at in this broadcast. In Ezekiel chapter 17, which I'll be reading in a moment, the Lord told the parable and in that parable, he gave a scenario, he painted a picture, and we're going to use that picture to ask ourselves some questions. And we want to use those questions to really do a check on ourselves, to find out if we are still in the faith, if we are walking with God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, examine yourselves if you are still in the faith, if you still be in the faith. So we want to ask if our faith is still toward God, bearing in mind what we define faith to be, that is, the confident assurance that we have that what God has promised concerning eternal salvation will surely come to pass. The conviction that we have that there is a God. Because you see, when we live in a manner that would suggest that there is no God, we are expressing a lack of faith in God. When we live in a manner that would suggest that all we are interested in are the things here on the earth. It would suggest that we have no faith in God because we don't believe that there is a heaven. We don't believe that there is eternal salvation. We don't believe that we are going to get there, so we want to grab everything we can here on the earth. Bear in mind also the source of our faith, which we said is from the word of God. So if I don't believe the word of God, then I cannot believe God. And if I don't believe God, then I don't have faith. And finally, of course, we're going to look at the objective, all based on what we have discussed, the objective of faith, which you just mentioned now, that is eternal salvation. If I don't believe in eternal salvation, if I believe that by saying a few prayers and making some declarations here on the earth that I am saved and that I'm always saved and I begin to engage in acts that are unrighteous and ungodly, it means I don't have faith towards God. So let's read Ezekiel chapter 17. I'll just read a few of the initial verses. 
and then I'll encourage you to read the rest. Even though I'm going to tell a bit of the story on the rest, but I'll encourage you to read the rest. Ezekiel chapter 17 from verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, pose a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel and say, Thus says the Lord, a great eagle with large wings and long pinions, full of feathers of various colors, came to Lebanon and took from the cedar the highest branch. He cropped off its topmost young twig and carried it to a land of trade. He set it in a city of merchants. Then he took some of the seed of the land and planted it in a fertile field. He placed it by abundant waters and set it like a willow tree. And it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature. Its branches turned toward him, but its roots were under it. So it became a vine, brought forth branches and put forth shoots. But there was another great eagle with large wings and many feathers. And behold, this vine bent its roots toward him and stretched its branches toward him from the garden terrace where it had been planted, that he might water it. It was planted in good soil by many waters to bring forth branches, bear fruit, and become a majestic vine. Say thus, says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots, cut off its fruit? and leave it to wither, all of the spring leaves will wither, and no great power or many people will be needed to pluck it up by its root. Behold, it is planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither? When the east wind touches it, it will wither in the garden terrace where it grew. Praise the name of the Lord. Verse 11 to the end. It's basically an explanation of that parable. And here in this parable, God is discussing what had happened in Israel. And it was discussing about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the first great eagle who had come, had plucked up the seed royal and many of the important people and had taken them away to Babylon. And he had replanted, that is, put somebody else in place of the one that he took to Babylon. Now, the one that he planted, that's Zedekiah, whom he planted there, now turned to Egypt. The second eagle with big feathers. And God was saying, you were a vassal to Nebuchadnezzar. You broke that covenant. Do you think you can thrive when you break a covenant? In fact, God said, and if you read Jeremiah, that he's the one that brought Nebuchadnezzar and allowed that covenant to be made. But because you have negated that covenant, say you will not thrive. I'm going to pluck you up. So the issue we want to discuss here is, let's look at this parable and see God as the first great eagle who plucked us up and planted us. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 26, when Israel would bring their tithes to God, they would say, my father was a Syrian about to perish. Then the Lord picked him up and brought him to this land and we prospered. So God is that great eagle who has brought us to a good land and has planted us. And as long as we are yielded to him, we will thrive, thriving in righteousness, thriving in peace, Thriving in joy in the Holy Ghost. Thriving in true spiritual prosperity. But then we find a situation, like we find here, where this king Zedekiah was now tilting his roots and branches towards another. The roots signify your foundation. The planting of the Lord, the foundation. The branches signify the fruit, the result of that planting. The Bible says that if you make a tree good, by reason of its root that is, the fruit will be good. If you make the tree bad, the fruit will be bad. So God has planted us in a place where our root will be good. 
so that the fruit will be good. But the moment we tilt in our roots towards another, the fruit becomes bad. We cannot see righteousness anymore. We cannot see godliness. We cannot see peace. We cannot see joy. We cannot see true spiritual prosperity. We can only see strange things happening in the church. If your faith is not towards God, it is towards another. With God, it is all or nothing. You are either all in with God or you are not with God at all. God does not permit a sitting on the fence. God does not permit one foot with God, another foot with the world. No, you are either all in on the side of God or you are not on the side of God at all. So when you are astride between God and another, you are actually not with God. That's why Elijah questioned the people of Israel. He said, why do you hold between two opinions? Between God and Baal. If God is God, serve him. If it's Baal, serve Baal. Choose one. If God, if your faith is not towards God, you cannot attain to eternal salvation. Remember last week we mentioned that the salvation that we have now is temporal. It will become eternal when we actually get to heaven. But we must get to heaven for it to become eternal. Otherwise, it is a temporal thing. If your faith is not towards God, you'll be disappointed in the end. God forbid that that should be our portion in Jesus' name. So let us examine ourselves according to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and see whether our faith is towards God, whether our faith is leaning in the direction of God or in some other strange direction. So we're going to begin by looking at some things. And as we look at those things, we'll be able to see whether we are tilting towards God or away from God. First and foremost, where is your affection? On whom is your affection? In Matthew chapter 6, I read verse 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Where is your affection? That's the question. If your heart is here on earth, if it's on the things on the earth, if your heart is laid with your treasures and your treasures are here on the earth, then your affection or your faith is towards earthly things, not towards God. Remember when the Lord Jesus told his disciples that he was going to go to the cross and be killed. And Peter called him aside. I think that's in Matthew chapter 16. And berated him, rebuking him, the Bible says. The Lord said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou severest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. In other words, your affection is not towards the things of God. Your affection is not towards God, but towards men. So where is your affection? Where is your treasure? Are you, are you focused on heaven? Are you focused on eternity? Or are you focused on the earth and the things that you can gain here on the earth? In Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 to 7, I'm not going to read it. I advise you to read it though. It's about the church in Ephesus. This church was doing a good work. There was a work of faith. They were doing great things. They were even questioning people who claimed to be apostles and found them to be liars. They hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They did all those things. And the Lord commended them for them. But they said, one thing I have against you. You have forsaken or abandoned your first love, which was hidden. So whatever it was that they were doing became nullified. By the fact that their love was not towards God, but towards something else. So they did those things by rote, not out of love. 
Do you know that you can be ritualistic in religion and forget that you are supposed to build a relationship with God? There are many people whose affection is towards their pastor, towards the church. That's not a bad thing. If that affection is rooted in God, is rooted in Christ. But no, their affection, if the pastor says something and God says something, they will choose what the pastor says. So their faith is towards the pastor, not towards God. Because their affection is towards the pastor. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 16, the Bible says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves this world, his affection is not towards God. His affection is towards the world. In verse 6 it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those things that we are excited about, those things that we desire, lust means a strong desire. Actually, it's a desire that is not altogether right. It's a strong desire that is driving you and you cannot resist taking you more often than not to the wrong things. That desire of the flesh, that is of what you want, the desire of the eyes, everything that your eyes see, you must have. The pride of life, the arrogance and the pride of I am what I am because I attained this, because I did this, because I did that. The boastings, the Bible says, is not of God, is of the world. So when we begin to engage in such conducts, we have seen people whose faith is not towards God. They have turned their roots and their branches, the foundations and the fruit from the branches away from God towards someone else or towards something else. In James chapter 4 verse 4, the Bible says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I want you to note, whoever wants to, not who has already become, whoever desires to be a friend of the world has made himself an enemy of God. Where is your affection? To whom are you affectionate? To God or to the world? To God or to a sister? Some people are affectionate towards the church. So if God were to tell them to go to some other meeting, they wouldn't go. So you can see that their faith, even though they are in church, their faith is not towards God. It's towards a particular denomination. One of the problems that we have today in Christendom is the issue of denominationalism. And it is what is killing many people. Many people cannot hear from God for themselves unless the pastor or the general overseer or the senior pastor of their denomination speaks. This was the kind of thing that got people in trouble with the Roman Catholic Church. Whatever the Pope says is law. Even when they look at the word of God, they cannot accept it. It's what the Pope says. And today we are doing the same thing in Pentecostalism. It's what the general overseer says. It's what the bishop says. It's what the senior pastor says. That's what matters. Not what God is saying. Somebody will say, oh, but they are saying what God is saying. No! You need to read the Bible yourself. And you will see that they are saying something different. So number one, to whom is your affection? Secondly, where is your acquisition or where are your acquisitions stacked? I always tell the story. A man who was working in the civil service said that when he retires, he's going to live in the village. And then they observed that he began to make plans to put up a building in the city. And after some time, he completed his building in the city. And the question I ask is, where is that man going to retire to? The village or the city? Obviously the city. If he was going to retire to the village, he would have been moving his acquisitions to the village. So the question is, where are your acquisitions? 
The scripture we read in Matthew chapter 6 raised the issue of where a man's treasure is, that his heart will be there also. So the question is, where is your heart? Where are your acquisitions? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Where is your mind? You see, if your affection is with God, then your mind will be on the things in heaven. The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the things that he possesses. And then he went on to tell the parable of a man who had properties, who had assets, who had goods, and he began to expand so that he can put more of the goods inside his barn. At the end of the expansion project, he now said, it's time to enjoy. That night, God said to him, you're coming. I will see how you are going to enjoy that thing that you have stacked up for yourself. And the Lord said, so is everyone who is not rich towards God, but towards himself. That man was affectionate to himself, not to God. Sadly, we see many pastors whose life purpose is just to build edifices. And they think that after building the edifice, they have arrived. The worst thing you can do to yourself in ministry is to be content as in, I have arrived. You must always find out what God wants you to do. And putting up a structure does not mean that you have arrived. Some of us have gotten ourselves so involved in structural things that we cannot separate ourselves from those structures. So if God were to say to you, go somewhere else, you can't. I had a friend who had an investment. I mean, this was a major investment. Millions had gone into it. And I recall telling him one day, Jokingly, I said, the way you have set up this thing, if God were to ask you to go to a mission field, you can't leave home. He will laugh over it. But that's the simple truth. Many of us are so invested in some things that if God were to tell us to drop it, we can't. And that is the problem. Where is your acquisition? Is your acquisition eternal or is it temporal? Is it in heaven or is it earthly? Is it towards God or is it towards yourself or towards people? In Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 9, the Bible tells us about a steward who was cheating his master. And the master heard and said, today you are going to leave your stewardship. So begin to make your accounts. So the guy said to himself, I can't go and start looking for a job. And there are so many things I can't do. What am I going to do now? So he called the customers and said to the customers, let me just give an illustration or an example of something. Uh, like saying, how many bags of rice is outstanding from your supply? Oh, the, that guy says, oh, one trailer load. It's okay, you know what? Bring half a trailer load and I'll write off your invoice. You, the oil that you're supposed to bring, how many drums of oil? But the guy says, oh, 60 drums. It's okay, bring 30. i write off the rest. And he sorted himself out so that by the time he was sacked, he would now have to depend on those people whom he had done favors to. And the Lord said, Look at that rascal. See how he was able to sort himself. And then he made a crucial statement. Let me read that statement that he made in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. He said, And I say to you, make friends of yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, that is when you die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What is he saying here? Is he asking us to be as crooked as this man? No! God is saying, if you have this unrighteous mammon, this morning, that has deceived many people. Don't let it deceive you. You must master it and use it for the extension and expansion of the kingdom of God here on earth. But if money masters you, make sure you are using it in a way that when you die and you go to hell, at least they will say you served Satan and they will put you somewhere where Satan is. If, on the other hand, you use this unrighteous mammon for the sake of the kingdom of God, then 
rest assured that when the time comes, you will be well taken care of by God. God is not saying that you can buy him with money. No, he's saying you should be able to master money. You remember the young rich ruler who came to the Lord and he, he wanted to know how he was going to get into eternal life. And the Lord told him, go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the man went away sad because the Bible says he had great possessions. And I always say his possessions actually had it. He had become a slave to his possessions. So he couldn't leave them. Now, the Lord then said that all those who trust money will not be able to enter into the kingdom. So the issue is, are you affectionate towards your acquisition or towards God? If God were to tell you to leave all your acquisitions today, can you do it? Are you so affectionate? Are you so tied to your acquisitions that you can't let go? It's a tough question to answer, but we must all answer it. If we are going to assess ourselves, if we are still in the faith, if our faith is still towards God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 to 19, the Bible says, Command, not beg, not plead, say, command those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches. Wealth is uncertain. I've seen people fall from great wealth overnight. But in the living God, not in uncertain riches, who gives us richly all things to enjoy? God is certain. Riches are uncertain. Put your trust in God who is sure, who is certain, and not in riches. In verse 18, it says, Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. He's not saying that they can bribe God. No. He said, that money, don't let that money take you to hell. Let that money take you to God. And what does that mean? I know the argument has come up about issue of tithing or no tithing. And they say, oh, there's no tithing in the New Testament. I agree with them. But does that mean, does that absorb you from financial responsibility to the work of God? Financial responsibility to the poor in your midst? Financial responsibility to those who are teaching you the word of God? Financial responsibility to widows and to the needy? It does not absorb you. Indeed, under the New Testament, once there is no decree, no law concerning tithing, it is expected that you would use your income, your wealth, to be a blessing to the work of God and to the people of God. And I will still tell people, the tithe, that is a tenth, that's what tithe means, a tenth, is the barest minimum. This is not about, oh, they want to eat your money. I, I'm saddened by people who have turn the issue of tithing into wealth creation. No, that's not what it's meant for. It's meant for taking care of the people. And I've, to, I've told people, the essence of paying tithe to your church and other things is so that it can be properly distributed. But let's even assume that you don't want that to happen. You're not sure that the church is doing the right thing. I'm sure you know many people who are poor around you, not just in the church, even in your neighborhood. Then take care of them. You can set out an amount, 20%, 30%, 40% of your income and be a blessing to people. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to let people know that you're doing it. Let it be between you and God. And you would see how God will be a blessing in your own life. You will get to the place where it will not mean much having money or not having money. That would not be the issue for you. The issue would be you and God. So two things so far. Where is your affection? Where are your acquisitions? Are your acquisitions here on the earth or are they in heaven? Are you using your wealth to build for yourself a home in heaven? Or are you using it to build for yourself a home on the earth? That brings us to the third thing that we want to check. Your allegiance, your affection, your position. Now your allegiance. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Luke 16, verse 13, the Lord Jesus, when he told the parable of that steward, went down in verse 13 and said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't. So where is your allegiance? Who are you loyal to? Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to mammon? Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to the world? Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to man? These are the issues. There are some people when they want to give money to God, they will go to the pastor or to the general overseer and give him so much money because they believe that by giving to the general overseer, they will get into heaven. My brother, you are making a big mistake. Your faith is in your general overseer. It's not in God. Do you know that the popes in the early centuries also behaved that way? They told the kings of those days. They said, you can hold the keys to your kingdoms here on the earth, but I hold the keys to the kingdom in heaven. If I don't allow you into heaven, you can't go in. So all the kings who wanted to go to heaven bowed to the Pope. They were afraid of the Pope. Until one young man, Martin Luther, in Germany, came and made rubbish of the papacy and the bishops and so on and so forth. They wanted to kill him. They couldn't kill him. And the kings didn't realize one by one that, wait a minute, you mean this small boy can defy this guy and still be talking of going to heaven? And the first king that moved was the king of Germany and said, no, let's support this young man. That's how Germany detached itself from the Roman Catholic Church. And gradually, the other kings started moving out. It's the same thing today. Some general overseers and bishops are acting as though they and God are in cahoots and that they are the ones who will determine who is going to go to heaven. <laughs> I feel very sorry for those people and I feel sorry for such leaders because they are putting themselves in the crosshairs of God. And I pray that they will repent. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 26, the Bible tells us about how after Israel had gone on to make the gold calf and they had disgraced themselves and were naked and had done all kinds of crazy things, Moses stood and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And the Bible says the Levites all went. And Moses said, sharpen your weapons and go into the camp and start slaughtering all those people who did what the Levites did. But what was the difference? The Levites quickly ran to the side of God. Where is your allegiance? Are you on the side of God or are you on another side? When Joshua was going to fight against Jericho, he saw a man in the plains of Jericho and he approached that man and said, are you for us or are you for our enemy? And the man said, well, I'm not for either. He said, I have come as a captain of the armies of God. Immediately, Joshua knelt down, worshipped and said, what are your instructions, my Lord? God said to him, take off your shoes because the ground where on which you are standing is holy ground. Joshua immediately sided with God. His plans meant nothing anymore. What was important were the instructions from this captain standing before him. I ask you a question again. Where is your allegiance? If you had something that you wanted to do and God said, that is not the plan, would you bow and say, what are your instructions, my Lord? Or will you be there and say to God, bless this thing. This thing will work, Lord. Bless it. Bless it. It will work. Where's your allegiance? It's a mark of where your faith is whether it is in God or is it something else. Fourthly, we've spoken about affection, acquisitions, and allegiance. Then we talk about assurance. Where is your assurance coming from? What are you depending on? Where do you place your confidence? Some people will tell you that my confidence is in God. It's a lie. Their confidence is actually in a bank account. They know how much money they have, but they say, my confidence is in God. When you are working in an office, your confidence is actually in that office. It's not in God. Because if God were to tell you to leave that job now, you can't. That's how you know that your confidence is in that job. Many people cannot think of living without money in an account. Their assurance, their confidence is in that bank account. Where is your assurance? On what is your confidence? If you heard that the bank where your entire money is saved has gone under, 
what would happen to you? Would you still be the happy-go-lucky fellow or would you be something else or someone else? Where are you getting your assurance from? Paul spoke, I think, in I uh, wrote in Second is it Second Timothy chapter one verse twelve. He said, "I know whom I have believed in. I am fully persuaded that whatever is kept in his hands, he will take care of it till the last day." Do you have such an assurance? Are you so assured that whatever you keep in the hands of God, your life in the hands of God is safe? The Bible says, "Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you." Do you believe it enough to actually cast all your cares upon Him? I've always said this. I mean, imagine. A parent, you come home and you find your three or four, five-year-old child sitting in a very pensive mood, thinking, and you're wondering, what is what is wrong with you? So, Dad, I'm just thinking of how I'm going to pay my school fees. A five-year-old. They don't think of those things. And that's the problem that we are having. Our assurance is not in God. We are spending time thinking when we should spend time in God. If your assurance is in God, if your assurance is coming from God, then your assurance will be tied to his word. What he has said, what you are interested in is what is God saying. If your assurance is coming from a man, then you are interested in his performance. That's why you find people jetting from one church to the other and say, Oh, there's anointing in that church. I like the way this man speaks. I like the way that man speaks. I like the miracles that they are working. I like the way they are praying. No, where did God ask you to go to? These are pertinent questions that seek to challenge where our faith lies, whether it's toward God or toward something else. That brings me to the fifth one spoken of affection, we've spoken of acquisitions, we've spoken of allegiance, we've spoken of assurance. Now we speak of the fifth one, your acknowledgement. Do you acknowledge God in all that you do? In Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 to 6, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all that you do, in everything that you set your hand to do, acknowledge him, take cognizance of God. Recognize God. Seek him first in all your ways and he shall direct your path. You cannot choose a path and say you're acknowledging God. No, God will direct your path to the proper way when you acknowledge him. Do you acknowledge God? These are ways by which we know whether our faith is toward God or towards something else. Sometimes our faith is towards our thinking. Or maybe we've read something that says that, oh, this business is the in business now. So our thoughts are directed towards that business. Our acknowledgement is from the feasibility that we've studied or the books that we've read about that particular business. We have not taken cognizance of God. We've not taken account of what God would want us to do. Imagine Paul, then Saul of Tarsus, being smitten on the road to Damascus. And when he realized that the Lord Jesus was the one who was persecuting, the first thing that came out of his mouth after that was, what would you have me to do? For Saul of Tarsus, his Damascus expedition ended that instant. I ask you the same question now, the question now rather. Where, or rather, what, 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 what cognizance have you taken of, of God in everything and anything that you do? Do you just do things? on your own, your faith is not towards God. The essence is not to berate. The essence is to get us to see in vivid terms that a lot of the things that we are saying cannot be met by the practicality of the issues. When I say that I have faith towards God, it means that I'm taking cognizance of God in everything. I don't move except God says move. I can't do anything on my own. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is right because I do not seek my own. I seek the will of him that 
has sent me. That's what is important. So if he says this judgment is right, it is right. I don't have a vested interest in it. In whom is your acknowledgement? There are people who will not submit a contract or submit some beads or whatever until they've taken it to a pastor. Why? Because it is the pastor that matters. It's not even God. Some people have been so, I don't know whether to use the word brainwashed, I can't understand it, that they cannot pray to God in their homes. They have to go to man of God and the man of God is happy because he has an offering box somewhere where you put your offering and then you come to him. That man does not know that he's going to meet with God one day. That brings us to number six. Your approval. Whose approval matters to you? In Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, the Lord Jesus Christ said, It's not all those who say to me, Lord, Lord, that will enter into the kingdom of God. It is those who do the will of him that sent me. That is the will of the Father. Those are the people that will enter into heaven. If your faith is towards God, remember the objective of faith is eternal salvation. To be in heaven, you would want to do the will of God. Your approval will be of what God wants, not of what a man wants. He said, people will come on that day and say to me, but we preached in your name, cast out demons in your name, walk miracles in your name. He said, then I will look at them and say to them that I never knew you. You who walk lawlessness, that is, you're workers of iniquity. You do what you like. You are not following me. You're following iniquity. You're following lawlessness. He said, that's what I'm going to say to them. So that's why I'm asking you, whose approval are you interested in? Many of us are playing to the girl. There are some pastors that cannot preach unless there's a multitude before them. They are happy when they see a crowd. Then the thing begins to come out. And they say the anointing is here. There is no anointing there. That is flesh. They've seen a sea of heads. They're excited and they begin to... And a lot of times they make errors. If you put two or three people before them, they are stumped. They don't know what to say. A lot of the prophecies that we hear is because there are people in front of them. A lot of people cannot prophesy when there's no human being around them. Brethren, if your approval is of men, if your approval is of a system, if all you are interested in is what people are saying about you. And what they are saying about you is what is directing the way you are conducting yourself. Oh, let's have service this way. Oh, let's do it like this. Oh, let's do it like that. If that is all that is, then, sorry, your faith is not towards God. Your faith is towards something else, but definitely not towards God. Finally, what is your aversion? And this is important. It may sound strange that I include this, but it's important. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible here, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've always said by that token also speaking to those who are under Christ. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You can love righteousness and not hate lawlessness. So your aversion, you must be averse to what God is averse to. Many people actually love righteousness. They love what God wants done, but they don't hate sin. They don't hate evil. They don't hate iniquity. So even though they go to church, they can be plotting evil against another human being. They can kill another human being. They can rape another human being. They can commit fornication and adultery and all kinds of crazy things right there in the church. Their aversion is not to sin. They are not averse in the slightest to sin. If your faith is toward God, you would love what God loves. And you will hate what God hates. You cannot love what God loves and not hate what God hates and say your faith is towards God. It's not towards God. You must love what God loves and you must hate what God hates. In fact, it ties in with loyalty. If you're loyal to someone, whoever that person's enemies are, they are your enemies. You don't know anything about them, but because the person you are loyal to, they hate that person, you are also on the side of that, that person. So seven things that we need to check are affection. On whom? Is our affection. Are we affection towards God or towards worldly things?
towards men, towards this earth. I see many Christians agitated when the issue of death comes in. Fear and all kinds of things envelop them. And they start wondering, oh, Lord, I don't want to die now. Why don't you want to die now? I was telling someone the other day, I said, God put you here on the earth. Saved your soul on the earth so that you can be useful to him on the earth. If you are not useful to God on the earth, why are you occupying space? You need to leave so that somebody else can do that. But if you are here on the earth, then make yourself useful. When your tenure is over, you will go to heaven and you'll be satisfied that you have served. I think it was last week that we mentioned how Paul wrote and said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I'm ready to be poured as a drink offering. Peter said, I'm about to put off this tabernacle. The Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples, he said, I'm going to a place that you cannot come now. You will come later, but now you cannot come. We will one day all go there. And I asked the question, what is our preparation? Are we prepared for that? We plan for everything except that place that we're supposed to go to. Where is your affection? Is it towards God or is it towards something else? If your affection is not towards God, your faith is not towards God. Your acquisitions, if your acquisitions are earthly, your faith is not towards God. Unless your acquisitions are tied to heaven, where your heart is in heaven. And then the things that you are acquiring are not things of human value, but they are things of eternal value. Showing kindness to people, doing good as God wants you to do. To whom is your allegiance? Are you loyal to God? Are you devoted to God and God alone? Or are you devoted to someone else or something else? Many people are devoted to their career, to the exclusion of God. Am I saying that you shouldn't have a career? Why not? Have a career, please, by all means. But if God were to tell you to drop that career today, would you? Can you? Will you? That's the issue. If you cannot, your allegiance is to your career, not to God. God tested Abraham's allegiance when he told him to take his only son, Isaac, after he had sent Ishmael away. He said, take that, your only son, Isaac. Take him to Mamoriah and sacrifice him there for me. Abraham grabbed Isaac and was taking him to sacrifice. Why? His allegiance was to God. He didn't tell Sarah, just went. His allegiance was to God. He had three days to think about it. It was a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. Three days to turn around and say, I'm not doing this thing. And he stood there. And eventually God said, now I know that you will fear God. Your assurance, your confidence, is it in God or is it in something else? Is your confidence in your bank account? Is your confidence in your position? Is your confidence in your nationality, your skin color, your ethnicity, your political affiliation? Then you don't have faith towards God. Your confidence must be firmly in God and his word. Your acknowledgement. Do you acknowledge God? How does your day begin? Does it begin with God as the starting point? Lord, what would you have me to do today? Is that how you start? Do you take cognizance of God in everything and let him direct your steps? Or your issue is about, I want to do this, bless it. If that is how you are living, your faith is not towards God. For your faith to be towards God, you must take cognizance of God. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. Acknowledge him. He will direct your steps. Your approval. Whose are you seeking? That of God or that of men? What is it that floats your boat? Is it the men who are urging you on? Or is it what God is saying? Some people are so ashamed that they would rather do what pleases men than what pleases God. No wonder Paul wrote, he said, I am not ashamed of this gospel because I know that it is the power by which God will save souls. There are many reasons to be ashamed of the gospel. To deny the gospel. Because through the preaching of the gospel, they put them in prison. But he said, no, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I know that in it is salvation. I will continue to preach it. Even when they put me in prison, I'll continue. And he did. Who are you looking up to for approval? Because let me tell you something. Like Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1. He said, you cannot serve God and be seeking the approval of men. He said, 
if while serving God, I'm seeking the approval of men, I cannot be a servant of God. Whose approval are you interested in? It shows where your faith lies. Finally, we said, your aversion. Are you averse to what God is averse? Or are you one of those who tries to say, but God cannot do this. I heard of one preacher many decades ago. This was a powerful preacher in those days. Then he backslid. And they asked him what happened. He said, he saw famine and hunger in Africa and said, no, 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 no. This cannot be God. This cannot be God. And then he was now looking for a God that would not have such a thing. He had left the word of God. He had left the faith. He had gone a different way. So the question is, are you still on the side of God? Or have you drifted? Have your roots and your fruits drifted towards another? Have your foundation moved to another? Is God still your foundation? Is the fruit of the Spirit still the fruit? Or is it another tilting towards something else? Let us meditate on these questions. Let us seek the face of God. Let us not be like Judah or King Zedekiah who tilted towards another eagle and abandoned the eagle, the true eagle that he should have been with. We know how Zedekiah died. He was arrested, taken to Ribla, where he witnessed the execution of his children, his entire family, and his princes, his advisors. They were all killed before his eyes. And after he had witnessed it, Nebuchadnezzar ordered the plucking of his eyes. After they plucked his eyes, they took him to Babylon, where he died. Why? He drifted to another ego. Are you drifting away from God? Because I warn you, the objective of eternal salvation will not be actualized when you drift away from God. I'm not doing scare tactics. I'm trying to let you understand that this is the foundation of the Christian faith. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. If your faith is not toward God, you are not a Christian. It's as simple as that. And I'm trusting God that those of us who say we are Christians will begin to make necessary adjustments. We'll begin to adjust our affection so that it's only towards God and no one else. We'll adjust acquisitions to be eternal and heavenly, not earthly and temporal. We'll make sure that our allegiance, our devotion is to God and to no other. We cannot place any other beside God. He is incomparable. Our confidence, our assurance must be in God and not in any other. Remember, it's an all or nothing issue. You are either all in with God or not. We must take cognizance of God in everything that we do in every way. We must seek his approval at all times. And we must be averse to what God is averse. Until we meet again, God bless you.